Welcome back to your next stop. This is Juliette Hahn. In this episode, I speak with Wendy Swart Grossman. Wendy is the author of Behind the Wheel, a mother's journal of a year on the road. She also has a blog, Absurd, 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 Musing of the Profoundly Obvious. You can find that at .wordpress. You can also find Wendy at her company. She is the co-founder of Creative Reframe. You can find that on all the socials. So creativereframe.com, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and you can also find Wendy Swartz Grossman on LinkedIn. We had a really awesome conversation. Wendy is also a lecturer at Boston University. She teaches creative innovation and wait until you hear how she kind of landed that. And it's because she's curious. It's because she has let herself uh, be open to the world and hear what the world and the universe and God is kind of sending her and all the different pivots that she has done because of traveling and all these different things in her life are really cool. You do not want to miss this episode of Your Next Stop with Wendy Swart Grossman, again, author of Behind the Wheel, A Mother's Journal of a Year on the Road. She is a lecturer at Boston University, also has a blog, Absurd Musing of the Profoundly Obvious, that is .wordpress, and Creative Reframe is her company. You can find that on all the socials. You can also go to their website, creativereframe.com. We'll see you again for another episode of Your Next Stop. I hope you enjoy this. Welcome back to Your Next Stop. You know, I say this every single time. I'm so excited to bring you a guest that has followed a passion and turned it into a business. Welcome, Wendy Swartz Grossman. Swartz, Swartz. Wendy Swartz Grossman. (laughs) You got it. You got it, Juliet Han. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to um, work with me and to have our conversation. I'm so excited. Where I'm excited go? too. So everyone can find Wendy. Wendy is an author. She also is an entrepreneur. She has a company called Creative Reframe. You can find that on the web, creativereframe.com. There's also LinkedIn, Instagram, and, um, and Facebook. You can find Wendy also on LinkedIn and She's an author at the book, and we're going to get into this, but we're going to, you know, first touch on your story, but behind the wheel, a mother's journal of a year on the road, which I cannot wait to get in. I know when I know a little bit of your story because Remy was the one that put us together. Yes. Um, isn't that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, who was a client, mm-hmm. but also a guest. Um, she knows that that kind of stuff just lights me up. So yes. Wendy, again, welcome to your next stop. And I can't wait to dive into your story. Here we go. It's full of crazy stops and pivots and changes. And I mean, like life, right? You know, we're all just kind of making shit up as we go along. Oh, excuse me. No, you're is allowed okay to curse. If I swear? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yes, this yes, is yes. a swearing <laughs> podcast. You can swear. So <laughs> it, okay. if you can share a little bit about kind of your upbringing, where you grew up, and then we'll get into all your pivots and all your yeah. wonderful parts of your life. Yeah, yeah. I think the upbringing, like anybody, it's like our origin story becomes our leadership story, our human story. And so my story really began in Minnesota, um, where I was born and raised, but that we really were pretty peripatetic. We moved out to Long Island, actually, in Huntington, and then we moved back to Minnesota. And then my mom, we said goodbye to my bad dad, who actually we had a good relationship by the time he died, uh, who in the words of my mother, um, he didn't let the fact that he was married get in the way of his dating life. Say no more. 
<laughs> and uh, she's very funny. Um, and then off we moved to San Diego. And that's where we moved between my sixth and seventh grade, which is a rough time for anybody. But moving from Minnesota, the land of speedo bathing suits and, you know, the 17 feet of snow to the land of crocheted bikinis. It was a pretty <laughs> wacky growing up. And in fact, my high school was prof um, Cameron Crowe, who was a writer for Rolling Stones magazine, went undercover yes. my junior year of high school. So he, and he pretended to be a senior so he could get all the info so he could write the book Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And uh, I, I lived through that tale. It's, it's a fascinating movie. It's, it's, I it's, love it's, it's a cult, that. It's a cult show. It's a cult show, right? And, um, right. Almost and, famous. I mean, that was, that. it's one of our yes. favorites. I mean, I love that movie. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I grew up. And then I went back to Minnesota for college. Um, and then I, I came out to the Boston, the area. But really, I think what I grew up with was really... Um, the whole idea of community and the fact that we kept moving around a lot. My, you know, my, um, my mother kept trying to build community force. My mother had a lot of pivots in her life as well. And so as, as any parent knows that your children are watching you and they're seeing how they take on life's, um, twists and turns along the way and figure out how you, how you do it. So that then really influenced me in my life in terms of okay, this is the latest shit show that's thrown my way. How do I deal with this? And how do I grow from it? And how do I make sense of it? Right. I love that. So when you went to university, it's interesting that you went back to the cold. So you enjoyed yeah, the cold. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, 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 I love the cold. I, I, I don't know what it is. It's like, whether it's interesting, actually, most of my emails, I always start off like, Oh, it's a balmy day in Boston. Oh, we're, you know, here under a torrential downpour. And whatever the weather is, I kind of think, I think it's interesting. They actually say that in, in the most boring job in the world is to be a, a weather person on the news for, in San Diego. It's between 68 and 72 and slightly. Right, right. It's like, yeah. It's like, I, I love. I love the new and novel. I love the excitement. I love the fact that the cold weather, again, brings people together inside so that you have to use your conversation and your words and your own talents to actually help, you know, develop you. And also, I just love weather because it helps me mark time. And it's like, okay, here we come again. Here comes the fall. I asked him, I'm also a, a professor at Boston, or I'm, excuse me, I'm an, adjunct, I'm an adjunct faculty member at Boston University. And I love the fall. You know, the fall means, you know, a new pair of shoes and going to class and starting over again. So I love that. Yeah. So what did you study um, in school? Yes, I study. That's a, it's so funny. I tell my, my students now, it really doesn't matter what you study undergrad. Right. It's just so like, it, yeah. So I studied economics and political science, and I didn't really even know what either of them were when I, I signed up for them. But actually, it was fascinating. So um, growing up, um, when my mom said to my dad, you know, enough already, I'm taking the four kids and we're moving to, and I'm moving them and I'm, I want a divorce. Um, it was, it was a wild change in economics. My father had been a, um, a professor, a professional at the 3M Corporation. That's how come we were living in Minnesota and we lived in the nice neighborhood and all that. The minute my mom said we're getting divorced, she knew that we would, um, he would cut us off completely. And that's what happened. And so we moved to San Diego and instead of being 
married and a Methodist in Minnesota. We ended up being, you know, she was a single and separated family um, living in a shithole in San Diego. And it's like fascinating. So I always knew that economics were a big part of whenever, and that still happens to this day. So I was always paying attention to economics and disparity. And the reason I was able to go to college was because thanks to Pell Grants, right? And that, and thanks to my my illustrious career as a waitress, I, I made a lot of money starting at the age of 15, um, working at a restaurant in San Diego. It's called Bodie's Boomtown Restaurant, where which based on the, the mining town of Bodie, California, where the patrons can come and sit down in the miners' union or the jail or um, one of the three covered wagons that went through the middle of town. And I remember like, oh, realizing that's when it's like, Oh, people want to show from the waitress. And it, what they didn't just want the mother load burger with the side of fries. They wanted to be a, a member of the town. So at every hour on the hour, the manager would take, would turn himself into the sheriff and the busboy would turn himself into a bank robber. And they'd go running through the middle of town going, ah, I got to catch the bank. It was a riot. And then I realized, Oh, I want to be a part of this too. So I would then, I changed my, my pitch walking up to the tables instead of just saying, hi, I'm Wendy, may I take your order? I started saying, howdy, partner. I'm your highfalutin, rootin', tootin', straight shootin' waitress, Wendy Sue. You all decided on your vittles? I ended up making, you know, <laughs> instead of making 30 bucks a night, I was making 100 bucks a night. And that's what actually was able to finance me to go through college. And that's when I, and when I was studying economics, I did a deep dive into um, the welfare system and the aid to families with dependent children. Um, and I'm like, oh, this, this is vital. This is important. This is a lived experience. Um, and that's when I took my first job out of college. I was um, working actually the, the, the Ralph, Ralph Nader organization um, called the PERGS, the Public Interest Research Group in New York. It's NYPERG. In Massachusetts, it's MassPERG. California, it's CalPERG. And I was offered a job as an organizer. Um, as a student and community organizer. And they said, you can live in any one of the cities that, you know, where we have, um, offices. And they're like, oh, it's like kid in a candy shop. Ooh, which do I pick? Do I want to live in Boulder? Do I want to live in New York? Do I want to live in San Francisco? And I thought, I want to live in Boston. I had, I'd been there just briefly to Boston once. And I thought, ooh, it just, I just love the idea of, again, a Northeastern city where you'd have big, um, changes in weather, um, a lot of colleges and universities and just seems like a lot of young people. And so I came out to Massachusetts and I was a community organizer at Bridgewater State University and also at, um, um, at UMass Amherst and living in college campuses and had a fascinating experience for those nine months until I realized I can't do this anymore. You don't get paid enough money. And <laughs> it's like, but I, I, and also I learned, I, I learned enough in that nine months that I could just take that and run with it. Um, and then I spent the summer actually riding my bicycle. I've also been a big um, adventure. And I rode my bicycle that summer. My grandfather had died and left me $3,000. And I just one girlfriend and I, we took our bicycles on People's Express um, to London and went to got went, found a bucket shop so we could get a ticket down to Athens, Greece. And for the next three months, we rode 1,447 miles from Athens, Greece, back up to London. Um, which wow. was fascinating. And that gave me such incredible strength. Like I, I can do anything. I can run away from right. anything. Cause of course there's a lot of weird shit that happens when you're on two women traveling alone on their bicycles. Um, <laughs> and so, but so anyway, so I got back to Boston after that experience. Wait, I want to pause you for, I, yeah, I want to pause sure. you for one second. So how yeah. old were you 
when you had that, you know, for that first like nine months, was that like directly out of school? So you were like 22 years that old? Was, yeah, I was, I spent one year working for the Pergs and then by, I was on my bicycle when I was two, I just turned 20, yeah, I was 22 years old riding my bike. Um, yeah. and it was then, so back in Boston, I got a job back in my first profession as a waitress and, um, I, but I knew that I wanted to figure out how to use my voice for the people who didn't, who, who couldn't advocate for themselves. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a college educated white woman living in a racist society. I had a, you know, I have a voice. I have a sense of social justice. I understood organizing from my years, my one year working for the Pergs, but I couldn't figure out how to break into, how do you get a job? You know, it's like, I didn't know anybody in Boston. Um, and my family wasn't from there. I didn't go to college anywhere near there. So I started working tables. And um, once you work tables, I think that's the best profession anybody can have because you are constantly summing up. Okay, what's my section? What's my goal? You know, how can I make the people like me so that they'll give me a better tip, right? And so I had Molly and Sal Lipsky who came every Tuesday for the two-for-one special. And they always wanted to come sit in my section because I was chatty. And we, I would ask them a million questions. They showed me pictures of their kids. But they never asked me a single question about myself until one day I was chatting with um, a busboy in French. And all of a sudden, Molly looked at me like, with all new eyes. And she says, Wendy, why do you speak French? And I'm like, well, I, you know, I took three semesters when I was in college. And she's like, you went to college. I'm like, yeah. And she goes, did you graduate? I'm like, yes, I graduated. What did you study? And she said, then she looked at me and she said, why are you a waitress? And I'm like, <laughs> well, this isn't like the end goal. You know, it's like, it's, I'm just trying to figure out what it is I want to do. And she said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to use my voice for, um, folks who don't have a voice of their own so I can help advocate to help make a more just and just world. And she said, this is how it's done. I'm a volunteer for Michael Dukakis and he's running for re-election as governor. They are just gearing up their campaign and they will be hiring staff. Go down and be the best volunteer that they've ever had. And when it comes time to get it to hire those for those, those positions, they're going to look to their volunteer pool. And I said, fabulous. And she said, I'm like, where do I go? And she goes, I'm going to give you a name and number. And I, but don't call tomorrow because I'm going to go down there and I'm going to let them know that you're calling them. That's called a warm contact. Who, I didn't know what, they didn't teach me that. And it's like a warm contact. What does that even mean? So that I did, like the two days later, I called, I talked to the, the campaign director. They invited me in. I came down. I was the best volunteer they ever had. I made sure everybody knew I was waiting tables, but I didn't want to be waiting tables. <laughs> After six months, they hired me as the receptionist. And I'm like, ooh, receptionist. I wanted a better job than that. But as my, for my boss said to me, look, at the end of the day, no one's going to remember the job you do. They're just going to remember if you're any good or not. So I took the job and very quickly I saw the volunteer coordinator was not good at his job. He was somebody who was not a people person. And the job as the, the professional staff volunteer coordinator is to have wide open arms and say, welcome, so glad you're here and explain things to make people feel special. And so they come, don't just come in that first time, but they come back. And so I was just quietly doing his job behind his back. And the campaign manager saw what was going on, fired him, put me in that role. And then at the age of 24, Michael Dukakis won his reelection. I was off, I was, you know, invited to come and have a exit interview with him. And he, there I was at 24 saying, and he was saying to me, so Wendy, you're a fabulous employee. We'd love to see what kind of job there might be for you in state government. And like, 
I'm like, wait a minute. I was a waitress a year ago, and now all of a sudden I'm having a private meeting with the governor. So I ended up doing refugee and immigrant policy work, which was fascinating. And then he decides to run for president. They pull the staff back in. And now at the age of 25, I'm the national director of volunteers for a presidential campaign. And he then won the Democratic nomination. I went out on the road. I was organizing congressional districts around the country. Um, it was it was fascinating. But it was all because I had an answer from Molly Lipsky when she asked me, so you don't want to waitress? Well, what do you really want to do? Right. And, and, but it, it also brings me to, you were open to communicating and, and getting to know other people. And I think that's something that Absolutely. a lot of times people don't do. They get stuck in what, where they are and they don't yeah. let themselves yeah. open up and ask, you know, those curious questions or be curious for themselves because either it's fear, they don't know what they're doing, mm -hmm. but you were like, I'm going to live. I'm going to take these experiences. And that kind of takes me back to, you know, how your mom raised you guys. You're like, we can just pick right. up and, and, and move. I mean, we one of the things that I tell, go. right. And one of the things I tell my clients or friends or, you know, talk about on the podcast is we're not trees. If you're not happy where you are, you can get up and move. You can get up and change things. But if you sit there and wait and wait it out, your life's going to go past you and you're never going to find the path that you were meant to be, you know, that you were meant to be Absolutely. on. So, and and in, in the words of Deepak Chopra, intention brings attention. And if you don't know where it is that you want to go, or if you do know where it is that you want to go, then pay attention to figuring out how you're going to move those pieces to make it happen. We are the masters of our own lives. Or the, the, you know, how do we want to put these pieces together so that the, that, that the world makes sense in a way that makes, you know, that fills you up that so that you have that combination of what the world needs, what you're good at, what makes money, um, and, and, and have that, that personal purpose. Yeah, no, exactly. So where, you know, when you're on the presidential campaign doing that, you know, I want to definitely get into how you became an entrepreneur and, you know, when you started writing the book. So if you can kind of take us through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after the presidential campaign, I then ended up, um, uh, also then working for the White House uh, for um, under, at the, under the Clinton administration, doing a lot of um, advanced trips under the White House Office of Scheduling in Advance. And then at the same time, I was actually going to graduate school um, at Tufts University doing public policy. Again, using that graduate school as an opportunity to pivot and to get some different skills. Because after working in campaigns, it was just you know, you can do that for a while, but I kind of saw my future, which if you work professionally in campaigns, it's like, usually at that point, it's like, uh, it, it, it's a lonely life and not a healthy life. A lot of pizza, a lot of donuts. Um, I did spend a year also though, working for Nelson Mandela working. I was, um, I, I, cause I, I then was honing all my, my skills in nonprofit management from graduate school. So I was, um, uh, um, invited to, work with the Fund for Free South Africa, which was a Boston-based organization run by a bunch of um, folks living in exile in the United States who are part of the ANC. And they were trying to figure out how they could be helpful with Nelson Mandela's the first free and fair elections in South Africa in 1994. And they asked me to submit basically a white paper, what they suggested. And so what I suggested, because it's actually that he needs money, but it's against the law in the United States to raise money for a candidate in another country, but we can 
can raise money to help support voter education. So we started the Fund for Free South Africa, excuse me, the Fund for Democratic Elections in South Africa, and they asked me to please be their national campaign manager. So I ended up having a fascinating year doing that. Um, and then that's when I pivoted to nonprofit management. And so, and that's also a very portable um, uh, career. And at that time, I was, somewhere in there, I got married. Somewhere in there, we had a kid. And somewhere in there, we started moving again. And it's like, okay, so we were in Boston. Then we moved, my husband and I moved to San Francisco where our first kid was born. We moved back to Boston, then down to Atlanta. And then all these different places, I was constantly remaking myself. And this is something that I've been seeing my mom do, remaking herself. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know how to do this, you know? And I can always get a job as a waitress. But luckily, I didn't have to. Not that waitressing is bad. Actually, I love wait waiting tables. In fact, it's my goal to actually be to work work a bar somewhere. That would be so fun. <laughs> um, and then my husband had an opportunity um, to start the international for a, uh, a tech company. And he comes home to me. We were living in Roswell, Georgia at the time. We had two little kids. And he's like, what do you think of going internationally? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know? yeah, totally. <laughs> and so after we went to London and we lived in London for six years. And there again, I remade myself as a music and movement teacher for the under four set. I know <laughs> all the words to every small kid's song that you can possibly <laughs> imagine. Um, and I play the guitar and oh, it was a riot. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, but then I also saw what was happening at the kids school, the American school in London is where my kids were going. And what we thought were going to be there for two years, we ended up being there for six. And over the course of that time, I was able to, um, there was a, the American school in London is a, it's a nonprofit organization, as of our most independent schools. And I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. And they have a big fundraiser. And I'm like, Oh, that's, of course, the school needs money. But so it was rich people giving other rich people money for their rich kids. I, this is like, this is my, my disparity. And this is, this is so not right. There's got to be a lot. Of, there's some fascinating people there. But given my background coming into London, which was all high level finance people, my, my husband was the oddball doing tech. It's like, you know, I, I can use this as an opportunity to help people to, to pull back that there's a lot of need right around our, our community. And so we started, I, I teamed up with a friend because it's always so much fun to do things um, with a friend, Jill Friedlander, who I met. And I was, and we started organizing and it's a community organizer. I'm like, yeah, I know what we need to do. We need to start community service days. And, um, where we started with a couple different sites, getting families together to work together and volunteer to help do cleanups at battered women's homes, um, at different, uh, low in schools and low income districts and just help people to make connections with the city that they were living in, but in a very different way. And by the time we left, they would have, we had, twice a year community service days with about 500 people each. They really, and it's, and it's keeping, I'm not too sure what's happened since the pandemic, but it was just beautiful. And then I was also working, um, organizing, um, with, uh, the museums, working with the science museum, working with the museum of natural history to help the, the, um, the museums help harness the power of volunteers in a deeper way to help them move towards their mission. And then, my husband's job disappeared. And yes, I was making money as a, you know, nonprofit NGO person, but not enough. It's an expat. They, it's a beautiful little package. They, you know, they paid for our kids tuition. And, and it, so it's like, okay, this was 2009. We have no job. It's neither of us. Um, and my husband did get a small severance 
And we, we thought, well, let's, let's live on the severance. We were going to, we did actually own a home in London. We sold the house. We'll move back to the U.S. Our parents were getting older. It'd be nice for the kids to get to know America. And, but why settle down someplace and just get jobs and buy a house? Why don't we have an adventure? And my husband and I have a, have a, have a history of moving and changing and, um, and we also have a history of I'm the ideas person and he's the make it happen guy. Mm. And so once I said, so I say something, next thing I know, he, um, he had booked the, um, what did we call it? Um, shakeupthefamily.com website. I was like, okay, yeah, I've always wanted to write a book. I'll start <laughs> blogging. Um, and then we sat down with our kids and like, okay, instead of they were going into second grade and sixth grade, which was the perfect time for all of this. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, you know, our, our time is running out um, in London. We've had a beautiful opportunity to be here for this long, but we're off for our next adventure. But instead of just getting a house, let's get an RV and use and homeschool and mm-hmm. use the national parks and public libraries as our college as our campus. And so that's what we did. And we play and we laid out what they were interested in. So our older son was interested in polar bears. So it's like, okay, where can you where can we drive to see polar bears? in the wild. And it turns out it's Churchill, Manitoba up on the Hudson Bay. And our younger son was interested in anything that blew up. I'm like, of course, who is it? You know, so I so all the different geysers all around the world. Um, and then my husband was interested in statistics and, and baseball. So a lot of the little, my, all the minor league. And for me as a gatherer and a community builder, I was thinking this is an opportunity to go back and reconnect with our friends and family that we haven't been around for a long time. So we got our 29 foot Itasca impulse and we started in Vermont. And over the course of the night, we thought we we're going to last a full year, but, um, it was really lonely in that RV and I was going to kill somebody. So we got out after about nine months. Um, and I was, you know, I was perimenopausal. Our older son was, you know, going through puberty. It's just, my husband doesn't really talk that much. It was, ah, anyway, <laughs> but we had an incredible time and we learned about, you know, that you can camp in the Walmart parking lots. They actually for free. Um, we learned to live on a, a tight budget. Our older son was the CFO of the, um, of our trip, keeping us to $109 a day. I had to submit my receipts to my son if I ever wanted to run away and get a Starbucks and pretend I was somewhere else. Um, So it was fascinating. And during the time too, we were trying on the different communities. It's like being from Minnesota, we'd pull up in a friend's driveway and try on, okay, how does it feel to live in Minneapolis? We had, you know, friends in, in Seattle, Washington. How does it feel to live there? Portland, Oregon. My father lived in Hood River. Um, then down to uh, Palo Alto where my brother and sister-in-law lived. Austin, Texas, really trying on all these different yeah, places. I love that. But, but we decided really purposefully to move to Boston. Um, because where, where it all started so for you, which I love. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, you know, the, we get the public schools my kids went to here in Brookline. Um, we could walk and ride our bicycles everywhere. Um, so yeah, so it was just, and I, and I pivoted again, my career once we landed and unpacked and I turned myself into a book writer and I, I, I put all my, I then published with, along with my help of my husband, who's just an incredible cheerleader. Um, we, I, I published my book at self-published, uh, but it's on Amazon and I, you know, and I used all my PR marketing skills. I ended up being interviewed on NPR. I put together uh, my different uh, book readings, it, um, different uh, independent bookstores across the country. 
again, gathering my friends along the way. Where do I have a critical mass of friends who could show up if I do a book group or book, book reading? Um, and it was, and again, it was fascinating for having my kids watch me. It's like, what? Yeah. You're a writer, mom? Well, I, I am now. <laughs> right. And how old were they? How old were they when you guys landed back in Boston? Yeah. So they, we, second grade and sixth grade is what we taught in the RV. And then, so they started third grade and eighth grade and seventh grade when we were here in, in Brookline. Right. And they got fascinating stories to tell. You know, I really do feel that life is just a series of adding more chapters to the book of our lives, you know? And so our older son, you know, by the time he was 12, he had lived in San Francisco, Boston, Atlanta, London, and an RV. Um, and Which is so, so fun, anyway, right? And it's his stories, right? Yeah. It's his stories that he can connect exactly. with other people and share. Um, I think that's, Absolutely. I think that's brilliant. And I think, um, yeah. you know, it's really important for women and I mean, and men to hear that we can pivot, right? There's, there's things that life brings us. And if we can come together and kind of calmly, uh, daydream what we want to do and not panic like, oh my gosh, okay, we don't have the income. Let's really just sit down and, and kind of see where it is. Cause I think again, so many people get stuck because they, they, go with the fear and that's how they live. They get panicked and they're like, Oh my gosh, I just have to do this and this, but it's really not what they're meant to do. So if anyone takes anything out of this story, I want them to really take out that if you just kind of sit in it for a second and say, okay, what are my dreams? What can I do? Because if you can dream it in your head, you can make it happen. And I truly believe that every single person, they can dream something or you can make it happen. You just have to listen. You have to be curious and you have to take those steps. Absolutely. Curiosity and generosity is what I tell all my students. The importance of being awake and aware, paying attention to who are in the spaces around you, pay attention to who it is you have synergy with and the skill sets that you come to the table with. That's like, okay, this is what I come, but, and be with people who have a different set of skill sets because that way you can help each other. And it's like, oh my God, I always, always have this vision, like of people are standing around a great big table and we're all standing there and we and say, okay, put your hands in your pockets and pull everything out of your pockets and let's just put it all in a big collective in the middle and play around like with a big thing of Legos or, or a big swap of, of uh, uh, Halloween candy after you go trick-or-treating. It's like, oh, I don't like the milk buds, but I really like the M&Ms, so I'm going to swap this. But, but using that with skills instead. And how can we play together so that we can build something even better that any one of us as an individual could think of? And that's that's what it was. And that's when, so when I landed here in Boston, turned myself into the book writer, but at the same time, I was back hustling, looking for nonprofit clients. But then, and this is the awake and aware part. My son comes home from school. My younger son, he's like, yeah, a girl came up to me and she said, hey, you just moved here. I bet you don't have any friends. I'll be your friend. <laughs> Hooray for Claire Gilliman. And so next thing I know, Claire comes over to the house to meet Miranda, the the, the hamster. Um, and then... Uh, a week later, we are, I, I was raised Christian. My husband was raised Jewish. So together we go to the Unitarian church. Um, and we, we go to the Unitarian church and there's Claire who's popped up in the choir. And she's like, it's because, Hey, Wendy, you know, I bet you don't have any friends either. Why don't you come meet my mom? And so I met her mom, Jen, who is just frigging awesome. And we're just immediately just like, we're finishing each other's sentences. We couldn't talk fast enough, went out for a drink. And she said, what do you really want to do? I said, I really, I'm, I'm just a frustrated, you know, 
stand-up comic. I really just want to, I want to teach. I want to have like the set group of people that I can play with. And, and she's like, well, she happened to be, you know, working at Boston University where she was the director of the School of Visual Arts within the College of Fine Arts. And she said, They've, I've been asked to actually submit a new class. What do you do? What do you think if we do one together? And immediately I'm like, oh my God, how fabulous. So with her background in arts and my background as an activist, we proposed this idea of the artist as activist class, which then morphed into cultural entrepreneurship, which was all about how do you, harnessing the skills of artists and giving them the business skills that they need to launch their ventures at the intersection of arts and culture, business and technology, and social impact. Just at the time that Boston University was getting their wings under them around their whole innovate, innovation and entrepreneurship spaces. And then we started following the money. I'm like, the art schools are wonderful, but they don't have the money, but the business schools do. And so anyway, so they were breaking ground. They saw the work that we were doing. We were invited in to give a TEDx talk. If you can see it online. Um, so we gave that TEDx talk and through the, that's another great thing for people. If people have an idea worth sharing, do a TEDx talk. There are so many of them around. Just the experience of going through that process really helped us to crystallize and boil down what it is that we really do and how to talk about our work. And that was really the the creation of Creative Reframe, the company that we started in January of 2020. Um, and we basically, Creative Reframe infuses arts and creativity into non-traditional spaces, mostly working with higher education places to um, help really bring the idea of creativity into the room as a launch pad for innovation. And it's been, it's been a That's wild amazing. ride. And it's because, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and you it's never because, know. Yeah. And it's because of, you know, someone, a kid being curious and you being open because you could have been like, oh, I don't know. I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to meet any new friends. But because of who you are and how you were brought up and what you bring to the world, you were able to embrace it and run. Um, I think that's, I think that's amazing. And I, you know, again, I want when people listen to this, I want them to really think about where they are in their life and what they maybe need to change and really go out and be curious because it's, I teach my kids this all the time. So I love that you said that to be aware about what's going on around them because you, you don't know. And I, you know, I believe in God, but whether you believe in the God or the universe, I do believe we all have a path and not all of us find it because not all of us let ourselves be open to the curiosity of, of seeing what's around there. And I also find it really important to find that space that you can daydream. Some call it meditate. I call it daydream. I can't sit, um, on a mat and, and cause then I think of the laundry and the, you know, the things that I'm supposed to be yeah, doing. Absolutely. <laughs> so I have to move. I have to move and I do it when I walk my dogs. I do it. And I, 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 you know, I love the life that I'm living. But also times I'll be like, okay, what else do I want? What else am I missing? Is there something that I need to, you know, kind of be aware of? And I daydream and just let myself go. And it's really cool when sometimes you have a thought and then all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, in town talking to someone and that thought is like something that they're connected with. And you're like, wait a second. I need to ask more questions about this. I need to be curious about this. Is this, was this like kind of a sign that was sent to me that I need to follow? And that's how a lot of my stuff has come out. And so it's really, really important um, to think about it. And then also think about your own personal story, right? To go back and think about things that inspired you at some parts of your life and your ages, because those things sometimes before you had life happen, right? Are, are beautiful things that maybe that that's what you're supposed to be doing. So I love what you're doing. <laughs> Thank 
you. Thank you. Thank you. I, and I think it's, it is so it's vital that we have these check-ins with ourselves because life can sometimes be overwhelming and it's not something that you don't need to do it every day. You know, that would, that'd be just too, it, too exhausting. But it's like every once in a while, I like, basically I'll like see myself. It's like, Oh, there you are, Wendy. Is this still working for you? You know, what's missing? You know, what's, what's going to make your heart sing? You know, and I think it's really, and it changes. It changes all the time. And depending on where your family is, where your friends are, what your health is like, it, there's so many different factors. Money is a huge one. And it's just, but, but always being able to go back to what I think are your, your core values. I have the, the basically three pillars that I try to look at my life through that I like. Ideally, it's the, I, and I've got the trifecta. And the trifecta for me is community, social impact, and creativity. And if I can get those three jamming all at the same time, that's my real happy place. But sometimes, you know, I'll throw one to the side. If like, okay, I can get two out of three. That's not bad. And then, but ideally it's like, okay, what's not missing here? You know, what's, if I'm not connecting with enough people? And that's why there's this, it's funny, there's um incredible book called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker that has really been helpful to me too, just to like, help me. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. I am a gatherer. I love to be able to use what I come to the table with as vessels for people to come together and to curate the vessels. So I have, we, um, there's a lot of young people in my life because I teach and a lot of them are musicians. And I'm like, okay, what do I, how can I help my, these incredible musicians? It's like, I can move all the furniture out of my house and create a, a music venue for them, which I love. And then I invite everybody, you know, from the mailman to, you know, people I meet on the bus to all my students and old people, young people. And I love it when people people meet people that they wouldn't normally meet mm -hmm. in my house or in my back garden. Or we also have porch fests here in Boston, in Brookline. I don't know if they have them where you are, but it's where people who have porches volunteer their porches and musicians volunteer their, their and basically it's a, it's an outdoor music festival that happens once a year. Oh, that's amazing. And I just love dancing with strangers in my driveway. You know, to yeah. me, that's like, woo. <laughs> no, that's the best. And I can feel your energy and I love it. Yeah. So take us through a little bit your blog and, you know, what the importance of that yeah. is and, 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 you know, tell us a little bit how that came about. Yeah. So after I wrote the book, um, um, the behind the wheel, I just, I've always been a writer. I started off, you know, writing letters and really ridiculously long letters to friends. And, and because I traveled so much and then I really started journaling, um, when after, after the blog, after we traveled, um, and I used to only do it when I traveled, but then like, you know what? There's so much that's happening. It really would help. It helps me to make sense of my world. And it helps me to, um, ch another check in with myself and is my journaling. And then I realized like, Oh, but I've got some ridiculous stories that have come out in my world. And I just, I love to be able to share my writing with others because, and, and being incredibly truthful with my writing because it can then resonate with others and maybe other people can learn from the ridiculous stupidity that I've gotten myself into. <laughs> and, um, so I just, and I just wanted a, um, a place for these pieces. So that's when I started my absurd musings blog on WordPress. And it's just a place just to, to tell again, as, as a fellow storyteller, um, it's a place for me to tell stories that I can share with a bigger world for people to, um, 
to have a connection, to have an authentic connection is what I love. And to be, and I'm happy to use, you know, it's like, I'm happy to use myself as an example of ridiculousness to help them as then other people will then feel, oh, this is a safe space. I can tell you my story too. And that's, that's, that's wonderful. Then it's like, oh, that's, that's, that's what it's based on. And where can people find that? um, it's an absurd musings blog at uh, wordpress.com. Perfect. So, perfect. And again, so yeah, your uh, your yeah. book Behind the Wheel, A Mother's Journal of a Year on the Road, which is amazing. And then mm-hmm. they can also find you at Creative Reframe. And that's R-E-F-R-A-M-E.com, but also on all the socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. And they can also find Wendy Swart. Grossman. <laughs> I said that right Perfect. this time. Um, <laughs> you did. They can find you also on LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, Wendy, Absolutely. I just, I thank you for joining your next stop and sharing your story, loving your energy and your enthusiasm for life. You can totally see that. Loving what you're doing. Those kids that take your class are, you know, so fortunate that they get to spend a little time and feel what you do and how you live your life each day. You're really setting an example for so many people and so many people, how they should live is being curious and opened and, you know, just out there connecting with people. I think more people need to do it. It's something that I love to do as well. And um, I love being connected with others that, you know, find that uh, a passion of theirs. So thank you again for joining your next stop. Oh, it's been my complete pleasure, Julia. Thank you for giving me a platform. Yes. So you guys, you know what to do, like, rate, review, and share. You might have listened to this and you might be saying, oh, that's such an interesting story, but you don't know who in your life needs to hear this. You don't know who in your life right now is at a crossroads, who in their life needs to hear a story, who in their life maybe wants to get an RV and travel the world, but they don't know what to do. And they can listen to this and get a little inspiration from Wendy. So again, like, rate, review, and share, and we will see you for another episode of Your Next Stop. I hope you liked this episode of Your Next Stop. Please subscribe to my channel, share with your friends, and join in each week. 